welcome to the jar. My name's Chris. We're so glad you chose to hang out with us today. And um, many of you know, uh, I am just head over heels in love with my wife. And this past year, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. Uh, yeah, it's cool. And uh, one of the struggles, though, uh, being married to a woman that long, it, it's very hard to know what to buy her for Christmas. Um, because she's very difficult to buy for. So this year, I thought, you know what? No holds bar. I'm going to be like really creative. So I created my own Christmas card just for my wife. And uh, it's amazing. W- would you like to see it? I, I don't know. If, balcony, you're very quiet. I don't know if you, you want to see it? All right, here we go right here. There it is. And if you're not so sure what it says on the shirt, there it is. Kiss this guy under the mistletoe. And I hate to say it, but since I gave her this card, she has not kept her hands off of me. I'm just. All right. Now you have images that you never want to have in your head again. Take that off, please. Um. But uh, also, uh, Christmas Eve's coming up. We're really looking forward to a great crowd. We hope that you'll come. You'll invite friends and family, coworkers, neighbors. Uh, there's a card in your program uh, that kind of looks like this. And uh, if you can remember, invite somebody. Um, we're going to be done in an hour. We want to honor your time, and uh, we want to celebrate that with you. We think God's going to move in a really cool way. And so we want uh, all of you to invite folks and to have them here. If you're more of a social media person, you're like, I don't do paper, uh, we actually, if you go to the JAR uh, Facebook page or our Instagram page, you can share that and connect with them. So you're going to be here and invite someone, right? Right. All right. Well, hey, uh, before we dive into the teaching, uh, let's pray and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much for every person who is here today. It's not by coincidence that they're here, God. But you, in your own way that you can, orchestrated in such a way that they'd be here. Maybe they're here for the first time. Maybe they've been here for many, many times. But for all of us, God, we really want to hear from you. That more importantly than my voice, I pray that you would whisper to folks in this place today. Lord, we want to honor you today. And we want your name to be made great. We want to draw closer to you. And we ask right now, God, that you would come and you would move in people's minds and their hearts. And I pray that there would be people here today that would choose you in their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, in just a couple of days, uh, we will celebrate something that really kind of hinges history. It's on the date of Christmas that all of time is kind of decided upon in two different ways. And uh, one of those ways, uh, we'll see here, um, is B.C. and one is A.D. Now, these uh, two kind of concepts uh, were very different to me growing up. Growing up as a child, uh, there was a B.C. kind of mentality uh, that my mom would have when we were ready to come home for dinner. She would go out to the back porch and she would start yelling for us to come home, my brother and sister and I. 
and uh, most of the time we ignored her the first uh, three times or so. And then finally, she would have this BC moment where she would say these words, better come home now. And when they said, better come home now, Christopher John Bunch, you better come home now. I left everything and started running because I knew that it would be close to after death if I didn't get home in time. Now, uh, that's really not what those words mean, but we want to talk about these two time periods that truly um, the birth of Christ hinges on both of them. The first one is B.C., and what does that stand for? Yeah, before Christ, okay? And then uh, secondly, um, we won't put it up yet, but what do you think A.D. stands for? After death. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's what I was taught to, but it actually, that's not what it means. So I didn't want to embarrass anybody. Um, But A.D. actually comes from two Latin words, anno domini. And what anno domini means is the year of our Lord. And so Christmas actually, it hinges every kind of time that you ever can think about hinges on Christmas itself. Now, what's amazing to me is that as our time is divided between before Christ and um, the year of the Lord, I mean, whether or not you're, you're here for the first time or you're not really so sure about this God thing or this Jesus thing, it really doesn't matter. But all of time, folks, hinges on a date of what we're going to celebrate in a couple of days. All of history is between these two things, what happened before Christ and then what happened in the year of our Lord. Now, the challenge is that all of us live in an A.D. time. Before Christ was here, we, we live in an A.D. time, but many of us have a before Christ kind of mentality. We have a before Christ mind, even though we're living in an A.D. time. And so today, as we approach Christmas, I simply want us to look at one question. And here's the question. What changed when Jesus came? What was it that really changed when Jesus came? Now, to do this, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke. And Luke uh, is the third book in the New Testament. So the Bible's kind of two big books, the Old Testament and New Testament. And in the New Testament, the third book is Luke. Now, what's interesting is Luke is the only non-Jewish uh, writer. Everyone else is a Jew. He's the only one. And he was very close uh, and was a companion to a guy by the name of Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament. So he knew a lot what was going on. And then he wrote kind of a second book, not only Luke, but a book called Acts. And uh, Luke, by profession, was a doctor. And uh, I kind of like doctors uh, because my wife's a doctor. And uh, since I'm her mega man, I kind of thought that uh, we would talk about Dr. Luke and kind of his powerful teaching of Jesus Christ. So this is how the story begins in Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. What's he reassure him? Don't be afraid. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Whatever you're going through, 
don't be afraid. He said, I will bring you what? Good news. And he said, I'll bring you good news that will bring you what? So he says, I'm going to bring you good news that brings you great joy for how many people? All the people. For all the people. Everyone. No matter who you are. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did last week, no matter what you did last month, no matter what you did last year, no matter what you did the last decade, Jesus says that I've come for all the people. No matter what you've done in your past, Jesus came to be with you. No matter where you've come from, no matter what kind of bad things you may have done, no matter how dark a time you might be in right now, the good news is that he comes with great joy for all the people. And this good news goes on to say these words. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Folks, with this announcement, everything changed in the world. All of history became divided in this moment into two. Now, for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is talk to you about three kind of different changes between B.C. and A.D. So let me talk about B.C. first, before Christ. Before Christ, folks, what life was about was this word right here. Uh, religion, religion, everything was about the law and religion. Now you might ask, well, what is religion? Well, you could define it this way. Religion is trying to close this gap between my sinful self and a holy God. There is a God that is holy, who is totally perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is up there, and my sinful self is here, and I'm trying to close that gap. And you recognize that, you know what, I'm messed up. I make mistakes. I flub up all the time. I screw up in my life, and things just don't go so well. And so, therefore, I need some rules that will help me kind of bridge this gap towards him because i'm not good enough i couldn't do enough and so if i just follow all the rules and i follow the laws then maybe god would see me as a fit person in fact most of the time we could almost reduce all of this concept of religion to what i would say are do's and don'ts the things that you've got to do and the things that you don't do. For example, growing up as a kid, this was the don'ts. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't do it with girls that do. And all of a sudden, if you did those don'ts, then you were religious and you could get closer to God. And this sinful kind of gap could be closed. Now, the reality is, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you all have some morality in your life. And so you have your own list, whatever that list is, of do's and don'ts. 
Now, I don't know what your list is. I know what mine is, but I'm not sure what yours is. For some of you, though, this is your list. If I go to church, if I do that, then I'm religious. If I actually don't watch an R-rated movie, then I'm religious. I always find that to be very interesting because you might remember a movie uh, several years ago came out called The Passion of the Christ. It was rated R. So you had all of these Christians that had moral, no R-rated movies. And then they go to an R-rated movie, right? Or, you know what? I don't cuss. I mean, except when I'm playing golf. Because then, I mean, surely God knows me, and he kind of knows, you know, golfing in general, and he made golf, and so, you know, that makes sense, right? But I don't cuss any other time, and so that makes me religious. Um, Or maybe it's, you know, I pray, and I read my Bible, and I do my quiet time, and I do all of these check-off list things, and that makes me good. That makes me religious. I can kind of narrow this gap between God and myself. Or maybe I'm modest, and I never wear yoga pants out alone, you know? I always have something to cover myself up, and, you know, that, that's it. That's me. Folks, I don't know what your list is. I don't know what it is, but we all have a list. And we have these do's and we, these don'ts, and we think that if we do just enough that we can close this gap between our sinful selves and a holy God. Now, when Jesus came, everything changed because it wasn't about religion anymore But it was about this word, relationship. When Jesus came, he said it's not about all of these rituals and regulations and religion, but it really is about a relationship and everything changed. You see, Jesus actually didn't come for religious people. He came for unrighteous people, messed up people like me. And he came to show us who God is. He said, you could actually get to know God. That it wasn't this distance, but you could have a relationship with him. And the religious people did not like this very much. In fact, they got very upset that Jesus would hang out with people who were very far from God, who were unrighteous and imperfect, and they were in a relationship with him. In fact, Jesus was so confusing and so controversial in his day that he actually would stand up and he said, I didn't come for the righteous people. I came for the unrighteous people. I didn't come for the sick people, or I didn't come for the healthy people. I came for the sick people. I came to show them the love of God that anyone and everyone, all the people, could have a relationship with God. I have a friend named Fred, and uh, that's not really his name, but I couldn't think of a better name, so we're going to call him Fred. And uh, I've known Fred for several, several years, and I've been trying to help him to understand this whole thing, that it's not about religion, but it's about a relationship with God. Now, what's interesting is that Fred is the kind of person that pastors should not hang out with. Um, I love Fred, 
But one of the things that he does regularly is he cusses like a sailor. Every time I'm around him, he just cusses. And some of you, that might offend you, and you might be like, ah, you know what, you know, I can't believe a pastor would do that. But most of the time, to be honest, he doesn't even know he's doing it. He just kind of like starts spewing it all out. And he's never apologized to me one time. And you know what? I think it's really cool. And some of you might kind of wish that, oh, I can't believe the pastor would do that. But I think it's cool that he's never apologized. But I love my relationship with him because Fred is always himself when he's around me. He doesn't try to be somebody else. He just tries to be himself. And even though he and I are very, very different, I think one of the reasons he likes me is because I've never judged him. I've never put him down. I've never tried to correct him. I just let him just go and go and go and go. And I knew that after a couple of years of having this, that I had to help him take another step. And so I just started asking some spiritual questions. And before long, I found out that he actually did believe in God and that at one time he had given church a try, but it just didn't quite work out for him. And because of that, he wasn't so sure that God would have a place for him. Or if God did have a place for him, he wasn't so sure that God could actually use Fred because the fact is, is that Fred was messed up and rough around the edges and he was kind of a chicken to really like place all of the stuff from his past and give it to God. Now, You can tell when you're around Fred that he wants to have a relationship with God. His problem is he thinks it's all about religion and that if he just, you know, doesn't do so many things, then it'd be okay. But he does them. And actually, he likes to do those things. So he told me recently, he said, you know, I'm starting to believe that maybe God has a blankety blank, 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 blank. I didn't tell those words, okay? So you can't say I cussed in church, all right? I think God has a blankety blank, 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 blank plan for my life. And I was like, whoa, Fred, this is cool. But he said, you know what? I, I just am kind of chicken to actually go after it because I don't think I'm good enough. I'm just scared to actually do that because I don't think I would ever be religious enough. Now, again, this story might offend some of you. That was not my reasoning. But this is what I want you to know, that if you're sitting there and you're like, I can't believe a pastor would be there. This is all I want you to know. This is what I believe, that absolutely with all of my heart, that Fred is close to the heart of God. Because God loves to have relationships with all the people. Because Jesus came for people like Fred. Again, Jesus didn't come for the righteous people. Quite honestly, he didn't come for pastors. He came for people who were trying to figure out this whole relationship thing. In fact, some of you might be sitting there today, and if you were asked the question, what is your definition of eternal life? Many of you would say something like this. Well, eternal life is when you live in heaven or something like that. 
But let me show you actually the definition of what Jesus gave for eternal life. It wasn't waiting until heaven. Look what he said. He says these words. These words. Okay, we'll go back to those words. They might come up. You know, you love that moment, like a real big build, and then it's like, ah, the computer crashed. Thank you, Jesus. All right. And now, just ignore the last 40 seconds. And now, I want you to... No, I'm joking. All right, here we go. This is what Jesus said. Now, this is eternal life, that they may... And what's the next word? Who? Yeah. It says that they may know you. He says, you want to know what eternal life? It isn't waiting until one day when you're in heaven. He said eternal life actually is right now when people know you, when people have a relationship with you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Folks, my greatest fear is that some of you may be sitting there and you know about God You've just chosen never to have a relationship with God because you never thought you were quite good enough. And yet Jesus is very clear. I didn't come here to give you a head kind of knowledge of religion. I came here to give you a heart of relationship. You see, folks, when Jesus came, everything, I mean literally everything changed. It went from religion to a relationship. And that's the key. Now, let's go on to this concept of B.C. Before Christ, people would actually kind of wonder. They would kind of wonder, have I done enough? I mean, have I, have I gone and sacrificed enough animals at the temple? Was the, the sheep that I gave to the high priest, was that good enough? Was it good enough? Folks, To be quite honest, this was the first half of my life. Up until the age of 26, I just always was trying to compare myself to trying to figure out, do I match up to what God's standard is? And you see, being a PK, a preacher's kid, one of the things that you realize is that there are like all of these expectations that are placed upon you. It wasn't necessarily from my parents. They were very cool to give us grace. But all the people in the church would want my brother, my sister, and myself to act very differently than all the other kids. And this kind of sense of a pressure to kind of perform and to have a behavioral kind of flow was there. And what I noticed is I started wearing a mask all the time to try to make all of the church people happy because I knew if my behavior was right, then they would like me more. And the problem was then I went to college. And then when I went to college, I would be around all of these church people and I'd wear a mask. But on the weekends, that's when all the fun people hung out. And so I started going with all the fun people and I started getting myself you know, kind of sucked into this, and I would wear a mask on the weekends one way, and then during the week I would wear something different. And I knew I was a hypocrite, but I didn't know how to change it because the reality is is that I didn't think I met the standard, and the gap was too far away. And then I got this thing in my head, well, my dad, you know, he's such a good guy. 
and he reads his Bible all the time, and he's a pastor, and I started comparing myself to him, and he was close to God, but I was so much further, and how could I ever get to that point? And I wondered, where was it that I stood with God? I mean, I just thought to myself I was going to have to bear down and work harder and fly straighter and do more things to please him. And then maybe I would actually experience that. And then at the age of 26, for the very first time in my life, I experienced this word called grace. And this is what grace means, folks. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That all the works that I would ever do would not make him love me anymore. And all the messed up things I did, he would not love me any less. He just loved me. Check this out. It's, it's revolutionary. He just loved me as is. He loves you wherever you're at as is. Now, he may want to grow you in some areas of your life. But wherever you're at, he loves you there. Romans 8:16 tells us this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that, what are we? Yeah, we are God's children. Because of Christ, we don't have to wonder anymore. The Holy Spirit actually comes and speaks to our spirit. And now all of a sudden, we don't have to wonder, but we can actually know. God. And we can know that we are a part of his family. In fact, I'll tell you, I walk through my days, folks, and I just, I don't wonder anymore about the fact that I'm God's child. And what that does, folks, it gives me great peace. And it gives me a sense of walking through life with joy and enjoying things. And it doesn't mean that I don't have anxieties and worries and tough days and sometimes I'm not so sure. But most of the time, folks, I know that no matter what else happens, that I'm God's son. Um, If you're not so sure about this, uh, let me kind of explain it to you a little bit. Kind of like this. People will come up to me all the time. Typically, they're Christians who feel very guilty about something they did that was bad. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know what, I did this or I did this. Or, and they always think that I've never heard it before. Like I'm going to be like, oh, you slept with somebody else that wasn't your, oh, you, you drank and did that. Oh, folks, that's life. And so the person will come up and go, you know, what do you think, Chris? Do you think that maybe, you know, I lost my salvation? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Now think about it this way, folks. Any of you that are parents or you've seen children before, when they first learn to walk, they walk like this, like Frankenstein. They don't really know how to walk. They just kind of walk like this. And then eventually they can't walk anymore and they go boom. And what happens? They fall down. Now, if you're a parent, do you ever say to them, well, kid, you had a great shot. But now you've fallen down, and since you fell down, we're going to take you and put you on the front porch. Hopefully someone will pick you up, mailman, somebody else. And uh, basically, 
you're dead to us, you're a loser, good luck with life. Do you ever do that? No, they're your kid. They fall down, you pick them back up, go ahead, try again, and they're like this, you know. And that goes on for months, sometimes years for that to happen. Folks, if one of my girls, Jordan or Shiloh, do something wrong, and you go up to them and you ask them, hey, are you Chris's daughter? I don't think they're going to say this. Well, I was yesterday. But, you know, I did something, and, well, I, I, I'm just not sure. What Jordan and Shiloh are going to say when you ask them, are you Chris's daughter, they're going to say, yes, I'm their daughter. And then if you ask the question, well, how do you know that? And they would say, well, I have his last name. You see, folks, this is the truth about every single one of you. When you choose a relationship with God, you're adopted into his family. None of us are biological. None of us would ever be good to be a part of his family. And so what he did on that very first Christmas is he left upstairs and he came downstairs and he said, Hey, you're all, if you choose to follow me and my son, you are adopted. You are a part of my family. And because Jesus came... We don't have to wonder anymore. We don't have to wonder, are my sins forgiven? Um, Am I going to get a second chance? Am I adopted into? No, no, no. When Jesus came, folks, all of that changed. One last thing. Before Christ, people kind of had this image that they had to go to God. I have to go to God. I have to actually walk and go to God to this temple. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Everyone would have to go to the temple because it was at the temple that there was the presence of God. But you would have to go to God. But when Jesus came, no longer did you have to have this sense of, I have to go to, to be with him. The scripture actually says this word, and the word is with, that actually God came to be with us. We didn't have to go to him, but when Jesus came, he actually came to be with us. And folks, this was earth-shattering. This was mind-blowing. The whole world had never heard this before, that there would be a God that would actually come and be with the people. Now, the New Testament says this is exactly kind of what happens in the fact of our bodies. Our bodies become the temple of God. All the people had to go to the temple, but Scripture says that our bodies are the temple of God, and God actually comes to dwell within us. He's as close as your heartbeat. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, what's it mean? What's it mean? Yeah, God is with us. When Jesus came, he said, Now God is actually with us. You've been waiting And now he's here. Now, to kind of explain this concept, uh, I have this kind of crazy illustration. Just kind of bear with me, okay? Uh, A couple of months ago, 
there was this limb that had fallen down, but it got stuck between a few other limbs, and it was right in the middle of our driveway. And I was really concerned that maybe the limb would fall down and it would, you know, hit one of our cars or hit one of our kids or whatever. So I had this, because I am a mega man, okay, I had this image that I just needed to carry my ladder out and I would get this 15, 20 foot ladder, real big ladder out and I would climb up the ladder and I would just get this limb down. And so I've got this idea and I'm getting ready to leave and my oldest daughter, Jordan, goes, Dad, where are you going? And I said, well, there's this limb that's down. I'm going to take this ladder and I'm going to do it. And she goes, Dad, please be careful. Mom's not here. And I said, okay, and, and all of a sudden I kind of had this image of like a daddy-daughter moment, like, you know, we could do this together. I'm like, hey, Jordan, would you like to, like, help me? She's like, oh, yeah, Dad, I'll do it with you. And so we get this ladder out, and we put the ladder, you know, in the middle of the driveway. And I looked up, and I was like, man, I can't reach that. So I thought, oh, I got a great idea. I have an aluminum pruner, and it looks like this. And I thought, I'll just climb up to the very top of the ladder, and then I'll get this aluminum pruner up there, and I'll get that limb down. And so I get this, and Jordan's like, all right, Dad, let's go for it. And I climb up there, and I'm getting it, and I'm reaching it, and I'm almost to the limb. And this is what Jordan yells out from the bottom. Dad, I've got the ladder. If you fall, I'll catch you. And she said these words, I'm right here for you, Dad. I'm right here for you. I'm right here for you. Now, we all know that if I would have fallen, she was done. (laughs) Soccer, swimming career, running career, you know, I probably would have been divorced. But, you know, it's like it would have all been over. Now, here's the point. Every time you fall, there actually is someone at the bottom of the ladder that catches you. And this is why I know that. Because he took a ladder from heaven and he climbed all the way down to earth on that very first Christmas. And he said, I'm right here for you. I'm right here for you. I'm right here for you. For some of you, today, that's the message you need. You've been trying to think that, you know what, I, I'm just, I can't narrow the gap. I'm not religious enough to, to do that. Folks, it's not about religion. It's a relationship. And some of you wonder, you know what, I think I'm a good person. I think I do the right things, but I don't know. Have I done enough? And Jesus comes and he says, no, no, you can know if you choose me that you are adopted in the family. And for others of you, you you may be sitting there and you're like, you know what, I've got to go to someplace. I've got to, there's something I've got to go to. And and God's saying, no, 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 I came down to be with you. Because this is the truth. God is with you and with you for you all the time. And if you fall from the ladder, unlike Jordan, 
God can catch you every time. You know, today we're going to celebrate 17 people who have said, you know what, I believe in the one who can catch me. The one who left upstairs to come downstairs and they said, you know what, I believe it so much that I want to give my life to him. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. They're never going to sin again. It just says I'm taking this step of saying I want him to be with me and I'm choosing him as my father. And so these 17 people have amazing stories and we'd love for you to be able to hear all 17, but we knew that would take a while. So what we did was we just asked them to think of one word of what their life was like before Christ, and then one word of what their life has been like as they found out that they were a part of God's family in the day of the Lord. So let's check out this video. You know, there's one thing I just never get tired of, and that's changed lives. Like, that's what allows me to wake up in the morning, is that God's going to change a life. And here's 17 people who just, you know, had that point where they're just like, you know what, I feel like I'm living in the B.C. period before Christ. And then all of a sudden, Christ came into their life, and they're like, He rescued me, and I have life with him because when Christ came folks everything changed let's pray loving father we thank you so much for these 17 folks who are getting baptized today we are so grateful for them and their stories and maybe today the reality is you're sitting there maybe for a first time and you're sensing that there's something drawing you towards God. You don't understand what it is, but there's something in your spirit during this time at church where you all of a sudden it's like, ah, I need this in my life. I need this in my family maybe you drifted away and you drifted and you're like, I've gone too far. And and God's like, no, 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 no. Just drift back. Just drift back. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I need that. I need to be rescued by God. I need his love. I need his forgiveness. I need his hope. I need a relationship with him. I want to know him. I want him to be with me as I walk through every day that when I fall, he'll be at the bottom of the ladder to catch me every time because he is with us. So right now, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you're like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do this today. I'm going to invite you in a a prayer. And uh, it's not a prayer you have to pray by yourself or 
raise your hand or anything like that, but a, a prayer that you can say out loud between you and God and that you would know that you don't pray this prayer alone. Here at the JAR, we always pray in community in one voice. But for some of you, it might be the first time or it might be a time in which you're saying, I'm ready to come so I invite you to simply repeat these words after me. God, thank you for sending Jesus over 2,000 years ago to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.